0: You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest-growing audio medium in the U.S., from law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media/cbf to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, Please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's s-h-e-w-i-t-t at bizjournals.com.
1: Howdy y'all. This is Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First and the host of this podcast, Women of Influence. This podcast features conversations with Columbus's leading women in business in which they talk about how they gained power, how they keep it, and how other women can follow in their footsteps. Today, we're chatting with Gina Hefner, Vice President at Centric Consulting. Thanks for joining us, Gina. Thank you. So to get started, I just want to ask kind of a general question a little bit about your career background. So you work in consulting, which is a really big field. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about kind of... How you got into the industry and what type of work you primarily have done?
2: So I went to Ohio University, and there I graduated with an MIS degree and a management degree. And the MIS program uh, at, at OU um, back then, and I think still today, was very geared towards consulting. So learned a lot about systems development life cycle and how to manage projects and. Um, And I loved, I just loved all of that. Um, And I loved the idea of being able to have, you know, lots of different opportunities to experience different things throughout my career, Um, seeing different industries, all that good stuff. So I chose consulting as my path. Um, So right out of OU, I went to work for Arthur Anderson Business Consulting. Which um, the Arthur Anderson audit and tax side no longer exist, but um, you can sort of equate what, where I worked, uh, which was Anderson Consulting back in the day, which is Accenture today. So I really had a very broad um, based uh, so I worked in a lot of different industries, managed um, a lot of different types of projects, from business related projects to IT-related projects, um, grew up sort of the traditional consulting path, which is you know, business analyst, project manager, I ended up managing a lot of um, large IT programs that were multi-year, multi-millions um, of dollars. And then I've done quite a bit of um, process reengineering, a lot of um, just people management or people and change management. So if you've got a large system or process change happening, you really need to manage the people side of that. So that's, you know, again, sort of traditional business consulting type of path is what I took.
1: At Centric now, in your current role, are you still doing a lot of client interaction or are you more kind of at a management level?
2: Yeah, good question. Um, so I haven't done delivery on the, you know, on the client side for, gosh, about 10 years now. But um, my role within the business unit, um, within Centric in general, is very client-facing in terms of um, selling, you know, really understanding what our, our client's needs Making sure I have a pulse on what is happening in their industry, trends that are happening in their industry and what capabilities Centric has that we can apply. And then, you know, probably the biggest part of my job. So Centric's core purpose, um, the reason we get up every day is to create what we call an unmatched experience, both from the client side as well as our our own people side. And so an unmatched experience is a little bit fuzzy and hard to define. And it's really about go- doing great delivery, is what you should expect from a consulting firm. And that's sort of table stakes. It's really how you go above and beyond, create friendships with your clients, um, really focus on relationship building. Um, so, a lot of my role is really focused on making sure that Centric is coming, you know, making good on that core purpose, um, both again on the client side as well as the people that work for our clients.
1: You mentioned backtracking a little bit that you worked with a lot of IT projects, but you mm-hmm. yourself do not have a technical background. So could you talk a little bit about sort of what have been some of the challenges of that part of your career and, and what you learned about interfacing with a technical audience when you yourself are not technical?
2: Yeah, I mean, so I'm not uh, an architect or an enterprise architect um, in any way, shape or form. I you know, the classes that I did um, the worst in in college were the ones where I actually had to code, um, you know, program stuff. So my brain just is not, you know, it doesn't work that way. But I certainly understand enough about technology in terms of, um, so we always want to approach problem from a business perspective and then really understand what technology what technology, or what solution can we leverage to really enable fixing that business problem? And so I understand how does technology apply. I'm dangerous when it comes to things like you know relational databases and. You know, I certainly implemented um, my fair share of package software, sort of off the shelf software when I was, um, you know, a business analyst and actually having to configure package software back in the, you know, the ERP days. So I I know enough to be dangerous, but when it comes to um, really needing that deep technical expertise, I'll pull in my subject matter experts, whether it be an enterprise architect, a data architect, you know, now we're getting into really fun things like data science and machine learning and certainly, as we work in uh, industry verticals as well, whether it be insurance or financial services or what have you, I hope, I'd like to think I, I know when to pull in it's people much smarter than me to have those deeper technology or industry related conversations.
1: Uh, what do you wish, and perhaps some of the subject matter experts you work with, uh, but what do you wish people who are more technical, IT people, knew or understood about people like you? Gosh, good
2: question. I think, again, sort of what I said previously, I think sometimes as technologists, I mean, those guys and gals are so smart and they, you know, there's really not a technology problem that can't be solved, which is so cool. But again, it's so important to make sure that we understand that it's not technology in search of a business problem, we always have to start from, what is the business problem? Do we have a hypothesis we're trying to prove or disprove? Um, it, you know, whatever the business problem might be, and how do we pull the different levers of technology or put a solution together across um, uh, you know, a gambit of technolo- technology solutions to, to ensure that we're really solving the business problem? You know, If you think about things like robotic process automation, RPA, which is really a hot topic today, you have to first understand, you know, is this a good process for automation? Is it a good candidate for, for automation? And is it is it a process that's already optimized? Because if you are automating a process that's a junky process, you're just going to end up with junky automation, right? And so you always have to start, in my opinion, with the business problem at hand. And I think sometimes um, technology folks um, like to solve like to come at it from a technology issue or technology approach first. So I think those two really need to meet in the middle.
1: Got it. Well, a great example of that, I think, is we've all seen technology enter everybody's lives in a big way this year as we all became remote workers um, and have navigated that. Uh, so what have, has your company been helping clients with uh, especially from a technical perspective related to the pandemic and what have you learned from that.
2: Yeah, um, I love this question because Centric, um, so we've been in business that we're on our 21st year being a business. And we started from day one. We've always been a um, what we call office optional or, or, or virtual company. So we've never had any brick and mortar. We have a couple of small exceptions. We did stand up a software development studio in the short north of Columbus about five years ago. But um, as a general rule, we've not had, you know, we have been a virtual company. So understanding how do you build a great culture and how do you leverage technology to ensure you can really collaborate have a a highly effective oil oil project team um, solving business and technology problems while you're all working remote. So I would say we've learned a lot of lessons over the last 20 years that, you know, interestingly enough, now that, you know, so many organizations were unexpectedly thrust into this remote working or business anywhere type of alternative, um, we have been able to, we have a solution called Business Anywhere and it really is talking about you know what do you need to think about from a people process and then a technology enabling perspective how do you really ensure that you're engaging appropriately with your team how, you know how do leaders need to manage differently because you can't physically see the people sitting at their desk, you know on a daily basis you can't you can't collaborate as a team you know around a whiteboard so how do you do that so there's the people side of that but there's there's the enabling technologies enterprise collaboration tools have come a long way in the last few years. Thank goodness they have, but things like Microsoft's, you know, Office 365 and the collaboration tools that come with that in terms of teams and and OneDrive and and able to truly collaborate are very important uh, tool. You know, obviously Zoom is a big one. That's been, um, had, um, you know, lots of people, lots of companies, um, use those, enterprise collaboration tools are so important and making sure that you roll those out appropriately. I would say the downside of of tools like that is they are so capable. And so making sure you're rolling them out with um, governance and some guardrails on how we're going to, you know, how we're going to use these tools. Um, One of the pitfalls that we even ran into as a, as an organization when we stood up office 365 several years ago is there's so many ways to collaborate that, oftentimes you know you just you need to have some governance and some structure around um around how you do it
1: do you mean like i know one thing we've run into and this is moving between platforms but we've run into oh we do we use teams primarily for video calls but then we're chatting on slack and then we're moving some documents over via our content management system and it can just get a little complicated because you have so many
2: tools. Absolutely. I mean, if you have multiple enterprise collaboration tools, that's fine, but you need to define, we're going to use this one for this purpose and this one for this purpose. If you're settling on, we're going to use Office 365 for all of it. You know, when do you set up a team? Who sets up a team? I run into, because of the role I, I have in the organization, I'm on I don't know, 90 different teams. And now I'm trying to figure out which team is that in and how do I find the right team? And is the document stored in OneDrive or is it stored in the chat? Is it stored in the actual team? And so, you know, that has gotten a lot easier over time as you start to create almost these covenants as a a team on how are we going to work most effectively together and how, you know, what is the defined purpose for each of these tools individually?
1: Got it. One thing that I think the new shift to so many people being remote has made a lot of companies think about is if this sticks around, how does this change talent recruitment? Um, yeah. if not they need to have people in place. So Centric, since you guys have, have been remote forever, is, is it important for you to have team members in Columbus? Or how and how has that affected your ability to recruit if not?
2: You know? Yeah, so we always have been and always will be a relationship-based organization. So we wanna work where we live. We believe strongly in you know being highly connected to our local communities in which we work. So we've got 12 geographic locations across the US. But what's been interesting is we always tried really hard to make sure that the, the teams of people that we were staffing at our client sites were by and large local, right? We wanna minimize travel both for cost to our clients as well as our, our individual people that work for us. But once COVID hit, and we realized that clients were way more open to um, this remote workforce, it has allowed us to up our game in terms of ensuring, I mean, we always try to bring the right person to the right job 100% of the time. But now if you can open up the doors, the virtual doors to, I can now pull resources from across the company, across all my geographies to really make sure I'm bringing the Best possible team to the table. Um, it allows us, you know, it allows us to um, deliver, you know, higher, you know, even higher quality. Make sure we're on time, on budget, all that kind of stuff. So it, it's expanded our capability to um, to bring the best people to the job. That being said, we 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 are still extremely committed to ensuring that the the local leadership. Uh, is highly connected with the, the clients in our backyard. We, we always think that's going to be important.
1: Yeah I think it's a it's just one of those things that you wonder about what the long term effects of the pandemic will be especially you know we think about it from uh, as office space needs change a lot also that like do you have so, still have some kind of hub and, and your local people or does this allow for big changes there? Yep. Well great well transitioning a bit and kind of on that subject. Consulting is kind of a notoriously demanding job with a lot of travel, especially for people new uh, in the, you know, young entrance into the workforce. When you started out and then compared to now, how many hours a week were you working? Sort of how did you find that uh, work-life balance in an industry that I think it's often hard to do in?
2: Uh, yeah, that is the, um, age old question in consulting. So, um, when I worked for Anderson, I certainly was the road warrior, you know, traveling Sunday to Thursday or, um, Monday to Friday. And, and you know, when, when, before I had children, it was, it was easy, right. You know, and my husband was traveling for work as well. And so it was easy to put in that 80, 90 hour week when you're on the road and you're working hard with the project team. And it was fun i mean it's a great consulting such a phenomenal way to immerse yourself into you know learning and learning about different industries and technologies and businesses and um you know it's awesome i came to centric because centric was started by three guys who person, were and um were doing the traveling thing and said we still want to do great work for great clients but we want to work where we live and so 20 years ago they founded centric with the express purpose of getting consultants off the road, being highly connected to their communities and, um, and and work-life balance. So, you know, I can't speak, I've been with Centric for 16 years now, so I can't speak to other consultancies and what their work-life culture is or has been recently or is now. Work-life balance is a core value at Centric. That being said, what I've learned is if you ask 10 people what the definition of their work-life balance is, you're going to get 10 different answers, right? So for me, work-life balance, I still work, I work lots of hours. I probably work, um, I don't know, 50 to 60, sometimes 70 hours a week. And it's not because anyone's forcing me to. I'm just passionate about continuous learning. I have, you know, we are, we want Centric to be around for 100 years. So you think about how do you really build an organization or continue to grow an organization that can really get there. And so that kind of stuff excites me. I'm passionate about it. So, but for me, work-life balance was always, I'm not getting on an airplane and I'm here to put my kids in the school bus. I'm here to get them off the school bus. I'm at, you know, I get to schedule my day every day based on what's important that particular day. And so for me, that's work-life balance. Um, And I think, centric as an organization has allowed everybody to live their own definition of that
1: well and on that front or a little bit related uh kind of a big question i often ask in these is it's just generally what does gender parity look like in your industry are you are you kind of used to being the only woman in a meeting uh and and how have you uh what impact has that had on you during your career
2: yeah, you know, I would say in my early days in consulting, it was, you know, much more um, equal in terms of women and men. But then when you start to get to that manager level, and that's sort of, you know, in the stage of your career where you're getting married or, you know, certainly senior manager when, you know, it was about the age, you know, from college to senior manager, you're starting to think about having children. And a lot of women opt out of consulting for the industry jobs. Because it's just, it fits their lifestyle better, you know, with a family. As I've progressed throughout my career, it is, it is, I mean, oftentimes me and lots of men, I was the first female partner um, at Centric and I was the only female partner at Centric for, I think, two years. I've just never, I would say it was intimidating to start. I'm lucky and fortunate enough that I work in an organization that our leaders value Diversity and inclusion, and have been very committed to uh, increasing, you know, all minority groups within our organization, uh, whether it be um, women or people of color, or, or you know, and really diverse from a, you know, let's make sure we're all coming from different backgrounds and experiences. So I, I'm fortunate to work in a company like that, but I, but I certainly recognize that, you know, um, at my clients over the years that not every organization or leadership team values that as much. It's not been a struggle for me because of where I work, but I've, I will say the other thing. I've had some phenomenal mentors along the way. I've had um, the good fortune of having some great female mentors that, you know, when my kids were younger and especially once I get, got promoted to partner and I realized that all my colleagues were men who had stay-at-home wives and I was trying to do the stay-at-home wife thing or, or the, the home, the you know, all the stuff that you know, a mother and and wife would do at home as well as the same job that my male colleagues were doing. And the best advice one of my mentors gave me is Gina, you, first of all, you can't compare yourself to anyone else, be who you are and outsource, outsource, whatever's, you know, you've got the money to do and you feel comfortable outsourcing. So, you know, getting that cleaning person to come to my house every other week, not being, you know, shy about, you know, asking for help when I needed it, that, you know, just, and I think giving myself the okay to ask for help and to, you know, not have to be superwoman. I, I think as women, sometimes we feel like we have to be superwoman women. And um, I think once you realize you don't have to, <laughs> it's it just, it, it provides a different frame of reference.
1: Yeah, we've decided. I mentioned that we're expecting a baby in February, and it was like a big decision where I was like, "What if we had someone professionally clean the house just like right before the baby gets here, so we can like start level?" And then, because with being home during the pandemic, you know, like um, you'd think you're cleaning the house all the time, but you're also in the house all the time. All the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, didn't I just do all the dishes? And then they are. All everywhere again. So exactly. Yep. Uh, we'll see if that is a a lifestyle change that we make once we're both working jobs and trying to parent.
2: You can do it. <laughs> we'll figure
1: it <that> out. <laughs> um. Well, and on that front, kind of when you've had a super stressful week and you need to take a little bit of time for yourself, what are kind of your go-to ways to unwind? What? Uh, how do you relax or step away from work?
2: Yeah. Um. I love to run um, just running or, or, and my, I'm getting, my knees are kind of giving out of me. So even if I can go out for a power walk and walk, you know, two to four miles, that is awesome. I love to read. I'm a very, um, I, I just love to read. And I, I, one of the things that I recognized last year was a lot of the reading I had been doing was business related reading and I again I gave myself the permission. I actually set a goal for myself that I wanted to read a book a month that was just a pleasure book. And um, so that is a great way for me to unwind. And I've, you know, I've I've, I've stuck with that this year as well. That's been huge. Uh, you know, having a glass of wine with a girlfriend, um, you know, just giving yourself time to de stress. And then the other thing that I have done, which has made a huge difference in my, in my week is I started blocking off times in my, in my day, not every single day, but, you know, typically the same day every week for just thinking, right? So I think we all get so caught up, especially post COVID you're in back to back to back um, conference calls or video chats all day long and making sure you're blocking off that time to really think, think strategically or just clear your mind for an hour so that you can get on to the next set of tasks has been helpful
1: What are you reading right now? What's your current pleasure book? I, I, so
2: I just said I'm, I'm reading one a month and I haven't picked um, I haven't picked one for this month. The one I just finished, oh, what was the name of it? Oh, the guest list.
1: Oh, by uh, Lucy Foley? Yes.
0: I actually had
2: one, one of her other novels. Yeah, right I just finished that one. It was so
1: good. I've been, I had listened, I listened to that one. And then she has another one that's very similar where they're on a, uh, I think it's called The Hunt, maybe? I forget. Okay. They're on like, a, or The Cabin, it's a group of friends on a um, like a New Year's trip to a secluded cabin in uh, Scotland. So it's like, you kind of realize that she does the same thing every yeah. time but,
0: yeah,
1: because uh, it's all the different perspectives and stuff. But it's also really good, uh, and I listened to both of those on audiobook. Um, okay. And so I decided to get this one from the library just to see if it was a little different to actually read uh, in print. Because when I'm I'm a super fast reader, so sometimes audiobooks I get a little frustrated because I'm like, I just want to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this person reading to me is going much more slowly than I.
2: Would. Yeah.
1: I really liked the guest list. Did you like it?
2: I loved it. I thought, um, what a twist at the end. I just, I thought it was great.
1: Yeah, it was like, obviously I knew there was a twist and like I had a couple theories, but I I don't think I fully guessed it. You know, it was a good, but it still like made sense. So I loved it a lot. Yep. Well, let's see. My, usually my final question on this is uh, advice that you'd like to offer to young women entering the workforce uh, today. You shared some good, really great stuff, I think, from a a previous mentor of yours. So we're very good about that, but anything else you'd like to add, or you think kind of wisdom you'd like to leave our listeners with?
2: Yeah. I mean, one thing that served me really well in my career is just be willing to ask, ask, you know, ask for opportunities, ask for, even if it doesn't seem conventional, especially as it's things related to work-life balance. You know, when I had my first child, I was on a, you know, pretty rigorous project, but I had talked with my managers and the client and said, hey, I really want to try this four-day work week out and have every Friday um, with, with my kid. And I'll work, you know, I'm, and I'm not going to work all 10 hours. I'm going to work 40 hours at the client and I'm not going to work all 10 hours on site. I'm going to, you know, do a normal, you know, eight-hour um And then two hours, I'll you know do in the evening, and um, after my kiddo goes to bed, and for I maintained that four week schedule for probably ten years, but and a lot of my girlfriends who were having kids who still wanted to work, what they did was um, go part time. So and what I what my eye observed was they were doing part time work, or they were doing full time work for part time pay, and so I think you know especially if you're driven and highly motivated, you're gonna work what you're gonna work because you're passionate about what you do, you care, you wanna grow and learn and develop as a person and professional and help your, help your clients or help your organization grow. And so don't be afraid to be creative uh, on how could you structure something that works better for your life and don't be afraid to ask for it. First of all, the, the worst thing anyone can tell you is no. And if they tell you no, you can still come back and present a rationale. Hey, let's just try this out. Um, let's, let's pilot it for a month or two, willing to be flexible, willing to, you know, go back to, you know, sort of the status quo, but, you know, just never be afraid to ask and be, be creative.
1: Terrific. I think that's great wisdom to leave everyone with. So thank you so much, Gina. It has been a delight to chat with you. Thank you,
2: Eleanor. You too.